What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to another episode of In the Know, brought to you by our great sponsors, Bet Online and Indeed. Uh, today, we are uh, we're welcoming in a, a great guest that we're gonna that we're gonna talk a little bit of Nets basketball with. And so, um, like to introduce to y'all, uh, JT Justin Thomas, uh, who writes for Nets Republic, Elite Sports New York, and also has a uh, sports anime hybrid podcast of his own called Saratobi Sports. So, uh, JT, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I mean, thank you guys for having me. I was I was thrilled when I got the uh, the DM for the invitation. I mean, you couldn't you you honestly couldn't have pictured uh, the grin and smile that I had across my face when I saw that. Hey, well that 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 makes it for us. We're we're super excited to have you and to talk uh, about a team that I think uh, a lot of uh, Pelicans fans are going to be interested in for a bunch of reasons. And one because I think NBA fans at large are very interested in the Nets. Uh, and given how the season went last year, obviously with KD out, now he's going to be back and. What does that team look like now? And also, obviously, which we'll get to later, the Nets are one of the most popular teams speculated uh, to have interest in Drew Holiday. Um, whether or not he gets moved is a, a question, but I think if, if he does, the Nets have to be one of the teams that are probably most likely to to be uh, have a good shot at landing him. So, um, you know, as we uh, before we get into that, um, you know, we've been we've been starting these podcasts off by trying to understand a little bit about your, uh, you know, what. What led you to be a follower or a supporter of the Nets? What's your so what's your path path look like? Uh yeah. So I started off back when they were in New Jersey. I actually live in um, Westchester, New York, and my dad, who was from Harlem, he just happened to buy season tickets to the Nets in like 1985 because they were so cheap, um, and he just kind of just kept them. So my first basketball game was a Nets game when I was around maybe four. 
and it kind of just stuck. And then from there, the fandom grew, uh, especially living in New York. Um, in my in my town, most of the people, Knicks fans, the school I went to, everybody was a Knicks fan. So it kind of made me feel good being like the the outcast, you know, coming in with my Nets jersey on Fridays and things like that. And I mean, just pat I, you know, growing up playing basketball to having such a uh, fun team to root for, especially Jason Kidd. Um, me being a short kid, uh, I had to play point guard, so it was kind of an easy fit. And just something that, you know, just blossomed over the years and, you know, kind of just thankful that now I get to mix my two passions, which is sports writing and talking sports and Nets basketball. JT, I think I've, I've said this on previous podcasts, but my journey to basketball fandom also became, uh, began with Jason Kidd and the Nets. I had recently moved to the United States and forget where we were exactly, but I remember watching um, TV and basketball was on. It was the finals Lakers versus the Nets and Jason Kidd was just balling out. And I was like, who is this bald headed dude? Um, I'm a big (laughs) fan of this guy. And ever since then I got hooked on basketball and it was Jason Kidd and and Shaq, but um, good place to, to start. Are you in, New York uh, currently um, is that is that where you're based off of right now? Uh yeah. So currently, uh, I'm in New York. I was in uh, like three years ago. I was in Philadelphia for school. Moved back, um, and you know, just living life up in uh, Westchester. It's for anybody that doesn't know, it's not upstate. Don't let anybody tell you differently. It's only about twenty minutes outside of uh, New York City, but you know, just. Kind of makes it easier going to Nets games now just because they're in Brooklyn and not Jersey. <laughs> That's my, my dad's actually from that area. So I, I hear you on that. <laughs> he moved to, he moved down South when he was like 13 uh, to Florida and then uh, moved to uh, New Orleans actually for, for Tulane for, for college. So, so um, but I, I've got family up there. And so I, I, I know the area well enough, to be <laughs> not, not that well, but uh but uh, anyway, so yeah, so let's uh, let, let's talk Nets. The start, uh, just wind the clocks back. Uh, it feels like forever ago, but to the uh, you know to, to to the bubble and kind of what you saw from the team, uh, specifically with some of the guys that um, you know maybe were taking on roles above uh, uh, punching above their weight class to a degree, but relative to what you know what I think the team might look like next year. But just curious, what your general impressions are with with the team and how they finished out the year? Uh, yeah, so I mean, as I think everybody knows when the Nets, when the season and everything got put on hiatus and they came back, there was a lot of guys that were either opting out or opted out because of, um, you know, personal reasons or because they had had COVID. I know Spencer Dinwiddie had had it. DeAndre Jordan had had it. Uh, Torian Prince opted out. Wilson Chandler opted out. I mean, you're basically looking at a ragtag bunch and then Sean Marks is just, uh, it's almost like he's just bringing in guys off the street, um, you know, from the G League, just trying to fill roster spots. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I had a tweet, you know, you know, directed to the Nets saying, like, I was available in case I needed to fill that 15th spot. But I honestly, I was kind of thrilled with what I saw um, with this, the bubble Nets, as, you know, we call it in Nets Twitter. Um, the expectations weren't high. We're just trying to just go out there, have fun. And they gave, you know, an entertaining brand of basketball. I, I think the, especially during the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks upset, you know, you had guys like Justin Anderson, you know, contributing Rodion's Kuroks who had had a, who's had, who had a shaky sophomore season. He stepped up. Um, 
Tyler Johnson, I think, was probably the biggest surprise to me in a positive way just because of how he was able to handle the offense, um, considering that everybody thought Chris Chioza, you know, the way he ended the season uh, was going to take on that mantle and probably have a roster spot for this upcoming season. But he kind of faltered a little bit. And Tyler Johnson just picked it up, you know, with his his three point shooting, which was very surprising, the consistency there, as well as his just handling of the offense. Uh, So it was it was entertaining brand of basketball. Um, The ending, you know, he kind of figured what would happen, you know, getting swept by the Raptors, uh, you know, and that's only really had Joe Harris, Chris LaVert and Jared Allen as, you know, the crux and like of your stardom, if you will. But outside of that, I, I don't think there's any Nets fan, you know, that watched that wasn't happy with what they saw down in Orlando. Would you say some of the play that we saw from the players uh, taking on those extended roles, like Karis LeVert, more of a lead ball handler point guard even, and, you know, Jared Allen playmaking in the short role, those things, how much would you say – that stuff is sustainable and going to carry over. Whereas how much would you say it's a product of there ain't anyone else to do it. So they had to do <laughs> it. And uh, it's just, you know, making the most of that situation. No, absolutely. I, I think with all the people leaving, especially Spencer Dinwiddie, I think that's what you really saw. Uh, you know, Giardi knew Kyrie was out. Spencer leaving opened the door for Chris as the primary ball handler, ball, ball handler. I'm sorry. Um, but we, I think net fans, we knew that Chris could run an offense. We saw it in the playoffs last season, um, that he can run the point guard if, if need be, I mean, he's long, he has great court vision. I mean, him and Jared Allen in the pick and roll is almost automatic. Uh, so it wasn't a surprise. I think his play, you know, as a, as a primary ball handler is sustainable, no matter what team he's on. I mean, if he's on the Nets next season, I wouldn't be surprised if there's sets where he's running the ball up um, and Kyrie and Katie are on the the wing. Jared Allen, on the other hand, I I enjoyed what I saw from him. It was almost like a, a renewal. I think the problem with Jared that a lot of Nets fans have is he comes off as a little bit too soft. And it's not to say that it's, it's not a knock on him as a, as a person, uh, but you know, this sometimes you want him to bang down low and he's kind of, kind of shying away, shying away from contacts uh, the bigger, you know, centers, the more beefier centers kind of throw him around. But I loved what I saw from him. I think his play is only sustainable if he puts on a little bit more muscle. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I, I think it was I think it was pretty good. That works oh. for me. I mean, I was going to say before we get too in the weeds with those players specifically, you know, we kind of push forward a little bit um, post bubble. You guys had a major coaching hiring, Steve Nash. And then yep. you guys have brought in a pretty stacked staff. If I must say, you know, I think there's Mike D'Antoni and Emi Adoka and maybe a couple others that I missed. Oh, Amari Stadmar <laughs> um, stats yeah. in the, on, the, on the, on the staff. And, and you still got Jacques Vaughn too. Yep. <laughs> right. So. Well, and, and Kyrene KD, of course, the collaborative coaching uh, hey, that's going. To... It, it takes a, it, it takes a village, right? Takes a village. Uh, so, what do you make of the the front office moves and the executive moves that they have made so far, and, and the coaching staff that's been assembled? And what do you think it means for the season going forward with respect to you know the, is this title or bust? 
Um, well, I mean, I, I love the coaching hires. Um, you know, I, I think, I think there's not a basketball person a lot or basketball fan alive. that doesn't like Steve Nash. He's a very likable guy, very likable player. Did he deserve his second MVP? That's not up to me to decide, but, um, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's great. I think he'll be great for the, for the team, especially guys like Kyrie and KD. They respect him. They've played against him. Um, which is what I think will go a long way as in terms of what they were talking about in terms of like the partnership, you know, the one day it's Kyrie's a coach, KD's a coach, you know, things like that. I think it was a little bit taken a little bit out of context, but I understand what they're talking about where you have a guy in Steve Nash that was a coach on the floor, you know, with the Phoenix Suns. And even Mike D'Antoni said that a lot of times he would just, you know, leave it up to Nash to run the offense and call the plays. Um, so I'm excited there. The coaching hires, the assistants, Stoudemire, love that. I think he's going to do wonders for uh, our young bigs. If Jared Allen is still on the team, I think he could really help him there. Uh, Nick Claxton. Um, and then, I mean, he could also relate to DeAndre Jordan. I don't know how much, you know, stack could teach DeAndre at this point in his career, but, you know, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a nice staff that Nash and Marks have put together. Um, and in terms of your question about championship or bust, I mean, I guess it kind of has to be. I don't think year one is championship or bust. I think, you know, it's a, it's a feeling out process. You know, there's going to be bumps in the road, things like that. But at the end of Kyrie and Katie's contract, if you haven't even gotten to the finals, I think it's a disappointment. I think the expectation is at least one championship, which I think they can, uh, you know, do. Do you see any, and I I think transitioning to the coaching staff and, and, and how they relate to the players is a great transition here. Um, Do you see any risks with the, the, the stacked nature of their, of the coaching group? And and then with the personalities of of Katie and Kyrie, is there, I mean, I don't want to say is there a potential this all goes bust because I think the team's too, I think the team just simply is too good for, you know, looking at what happened with the Lakers and, and Steve Nash, Dwight Howard team years back. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying, but do you feel like there's, there's potential for some, um, some, some bumps in the road here uh, with, with the, the number of personalities they got coaching. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always risk when it, when it comes to sports in general, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, you know, they could have hired, you know, they could have hired Phil Jackson and there still would have probably been bumps and people talking about it. It's just, it's just what it is. Um, but I think the, the relatability of Nash to the players is going to go a long way. Um, you know, as you mentioned with the Lakers, I think people said the same thing or kind of hinted at the same thing when you saw Frank Vogel's staff, when he had Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins, and especially the Jason Kidd hire when people were thinking, Whoa, you know, if Vogel gets off to a, a rough start, Jason Kidd might, you know, try and weasel his way into getting this, the job. But, you know, well, many moons later, you know, they're raising a uh, a championship trophy. So it kind of works out, um, which is, I think, what could happen here. You know, will there be riffs? Yes, that's just that's, that's just sports. Will there be a, a situation where maybe you see KD or Kyrie brush off uh, Nash? Yeah, but we saw that with LeBron in with, with the heat when he kind of brushed off Spolstra in year one. And then look with that two championships. So there's always going to be risk. Uh, but I think the rewards will greatly outweigh the risk. Yeah. So I feel like with the team that talented, you kind of have to make those plays, those risks. You have to take that extra amount of gamble to really solidify your pursuit in the championship 
but <clears throat> there's been a lot made of Kyrie's personality at every stop that he's been at. Mm-hmm. And with regards to risk specifically, um, where are you with him as a personality? And then where are you with him as an injury risk, which I feel like is it just as a, an important of a component that can blow up any title um, window or any type of contention that the team's trying to get into. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I'm actually, I'm more afraid of the injury risk than I am the personality risk. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, I guess what the word would be Stan, you know, I've never really stand a player, but I have noticed I've, I kind of come to the defense of uh, Kyrie a lot over the past year, probably just because he's on my team, but you know, the, the personality things seem, you never really hear other players saying it, right. You know, you, the, the sources are never from other players or former players, you know, I, you know, with the exception of Kendrick Perkins, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Um, Don't get us started on Kendrick. Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could go on for days about him, but you know, you never really hear it from other people. Everybody seems to really, you know, the guys in the NBA seem to like him. Um, he's liked in this locker room. Um, you know, the guys, at least from what we saw, you know, in his brief time playing on the court and just him being around the team this year, um, there wasn't any hint of, you know, ill will. A lot was made about his comment after that Sixers loss early in the season when he said, Hey, we need to bring in some more guys. We need, you know, one or two more pieces. There was nothing wrong with what he said because it was the truth as presently constructed. The Nets last year didn't have enough. Even if they had KD, they didn't have enough. Um, you know, so I think it was just kind of, you know, people trying to find something. Um, like I, I remember the the mood swings article uh that came out uh a few months ago too. Um, so I think it's 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 a lot of this is much to do about nothing. I'm not worried about that. Um, he's a likable guy. Uh, it's hard to really, when you look at what he's done for not only the NBA, but his community for the women's game, uh, he's, 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 he's a champion. He's, and not to mention an NBA champion, but he gets along with people. As far as I've seen, I'm not worried about that. He's with his friends, you know, uh, Kevin Durant, Deandre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie's there. They went to, uh, they did a Harvard class together over the summer, uh, the year before Kyrie even signed with the Nets. Uh, he's like a big brother to uh, Caris Levert. So there's a lot of togetherness I see on this team, which is why I don't put much stock into it being a toxic relationship. Whatever happened in Boston happened in Boston. This is a new franchise, a new city, a fresh start. Um, so I'm not, you know, really worried about that on that front. I got it. Uh, ma- makes sense. Let's uh, let's jump in uh, to uh, to what's to what's to come in, in the next I don't know a week or two weeks <laughs> yep. I guess and that's uh and that's a uh, free free agency and uh, and the draft and so um, I, I know that, uh, the the Nets I think they have one pick and it's nineteen right that's the first round oh uh, yeah they, they have uh, uh, nine pick nineteen from the Sixers and they have a uh, pick number fifty five in the second round. Got it. Yeah. So, so, uh, so we can talk a little draft, but I think more, uh, I think more interesting for the Nets uh, specifically is around their, the, any free agency decisions they have to make. And so, um, you know, we can start wherever you want, but any, any, any decisions you feel like are, you're pretty confident in saying the Nets are going to go a certain way or, you know, what do you, what do you have your eye on? Uh, I mean, I think the big elephant in the room is uh, the Joe Harris uh, situation. 
I think it's a not to say it's a done deal, but it I'd be very, very shocked, just as I think all Nets fans would be if the Nets didn't bring back Joe Harris. Uh, you know, he's one of the organizational pieces in the sense that, you know, he kind of built him up. You know, he's a he's a not homegrown, but kind of like a Spencer Dinwiddie where we saw him grow over the years and now he's become one of the more one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the league and not to mention he also knows how to put the ball on the deck um I think that's where the Nets start off at uh Joe side you know the Nets owner he can't be afraid to go into luxury tax that's that's how you win championships right you know it may it might hurt the piggy bank a little bit but at the end of the day, if you're, you know, raising the Larry O'Brien trophy, you know, all is forgiven, basically. Uh, it kind of pays for itself. So that's where I think they go first. Um, they have a lot of contracts tied up. I believe they have 13 guys um, under contract for next season, which doesn't leave a lot of room. Uh, one of the free agents pickups I would like to see them do is bring back Jamal Crawford. I think he'd be a, a perfect veteran. Uh, for this team, I think every team needs it. You saw, you know, the veteran presence on the Lakers with Jared Dudley, uh, the Heat with Udonis Haslam, you know, guys that are just around that have all this knowledge that can give to a young team and, you know, a team that maybe is toxic, you know, <laughs> if, if that's if, if if so, it be somebody in the locker room that can kind of calm things down. So, so not Michael what, Beasley. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, no, not Michael Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> but um so- yeah, no, no, continue. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring an interesting point about luxury tax, and you're right. You know, if you want to be a title contending team, you've you got to pay it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where the Nets end up with regards to that. I'm sure they're going to bake in flexibility to go above and over it. Now, beyond free agents, you guys have Jared Allen, who is up for an extension, and you don't have to make a decision on him, but there was like a report leak that he's seeking Clint Capella money. Yeah, like $90 million, something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Clint Capella got five years, 87, you know, around that 90 number. And so, yeah. which is a lot of money. And then there's DeAndre Jordan and the whole situation with DeAndre Jordan, not getting minutes over Jared Allen and then getting minutes over Jared Allen. Um, what is going on there between those two? And, you know, would you feel comfortable coughing up that kind of money for, for Jared Allen? What, what's the future there? You know, it was it was really surprising that that whole situation this season, like playing out with DeAndre complaining about not starting when it's not like he was buried on the bench. He was, you know, the backup center. So he was getting around 20, you know, 22 minutes a game. And it's kind of hard to look at the tape and say that DeAndre Jordan deserves to start over Jared Allen because Jared Allen was doing a lot more than DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, DeAndre Jordan is a more physical presence, but that's about it. You know, he can't really move on the defensive end outside of maybe 15 feet. Uh, doesn't do anything really on the offensive end, you know, aside from, you know, set screens, maybe back tap the ball out for an offensive rebound. Um, so it was kind of surprising to, to like hear that, like he was, you know, complaining about not starting. Would I pay 90 million or Clint Capella money for Jared Allen? Absolutely not. I just, don't see a not to say a fit but I don't see the need to pay a center like that um when that's not where the league is heading you know I think there is a place as the Lakers show there is a place for you know traditional big men but without him being a physical presence like a Dwight Howard or even a JaVale McGee 
you know, it's, it doesn't really make much sense. Now, if he could shoot, if he was a stretch five and he could shoot kind of like a, a Joel Embiid and he's taking, you know, six, seven threes a game, then maybe. But right now, I just don't see why he would be worth that money. I would like for him to be back on the team um, on a more friendly deal. Um, so whatever the future holds there, you know, we have to wait and see. But as far as paying him that type of money, I wouldn't. And it's actually surprising because he's a very quiet guy. Um, you know, he loves his video games. If you follow him on Instagram, things like that. So it was kind of surprising seeing his camp, I guess, leak that information because it just seems so out, so out of nowhere. Yeah, it's weird to me. I also <clears throat> wouldn't give Jared Allen $90 million. I don't really know where his market lies, but this rim runner that can't really shoot, you know, the, the pick and roll big, they've become relatively cheap to acquire. You know, you've seen championship teams like the Lakers get them from around the minimum with Dwight and, and JaVel McGee. And it's very possible that Jared Allen's better than those guys, both of those guys. But the question is, is he $90 million better? And, (laughs) and I think the, the answer is no, you know, flat out. No. And so I think that puts teams in, in challenging positions. And frankly, I guess this is a good time to kind of talk about trade value a little bit. Um, puts you in a questionable place with what is Jared Allen's trade value? And, you know, before we, we get into, um, I guess we can jump right into the New Orleans related trade stuff. So the biggest reason um, that we would love a Nets podcaster on our podcast is to discuss a potential Drew Holiday trade, which is seems like has been I in the news. Not, I have not heard anything about Drew Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who is I, Drew I, Holiday? Really, I really thought you were going to say Lonzo just to mess with people. I know, <laughs> I thought you were going to. Which, okay, let's talk about Lonzo, man. You want a Lonzo ball? <laughs> Uh, you you can have him. <laughs> and we'll start off. We'll start off with the second round pick, and then we'll work from there. <laughs> Drive a hard bargain. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it seems like Drew Holiday has been in the mix with the Nets for quite some time. Um, our our own, you know, kind of reporting, local reporting tells us that they've been discussing since the deadline, basically, and it seems like they've been keeping tabs on each other. And now, after this extremely long season that seemed to have never ended you know we're on the cusp of the trade moratorium lifting and and obviously leaks and rumors are accelerating at this point and a lot of people think that Brooklyn might be the hands-on favorite to get Drew Holiday so we what do you make of Drew Holiday as a player Um, and how do you see his fit on the nets and then yeah let's start from there and then we can talk about you know trade packages and what you see may or may not happen in um well i mean yeah first off love drew holiday loved his game for a while now um you know he he does what you want a player of his caliber to do for your team you know he defends at, at, at a remarkable rate he can run an offense if you need him to he can get you a bucket when you need him to um you know one of the i guess rare complete guards that we have in the league um I th- and I think he would be perfect for the Nets mostly because of his, you know, perimeter defense, you know, the Nets with, with Katie and Kyrie just alone, you really don't need a lot more, you know, help on the offensive end. Uh, but 
where the Nets struggled mightily last season was with perimeter defense. And you, you they kind of got a boost uh, with David Nwaba when he was inserted into the lineup. You saw a boost on the defensive end, even when they brought in Iman Shumpert, uh, I think on a few 10-day contracts, you saw a boost in the uh, perimeter defense. And then once they, uh, unfortunately, David Nwaba, you know, had a season-ending injury. He was gone. Uh, the Nets didn't re-up uh, Iman Shumpert. And so you saw a drop in the defense there. And I think that's where the Nets really, really want Drew Holiday. I think that's where they really envision him. You know, someone who comes in, you know, locks up the opposing team's, you know, guard, uh, you know, allows you to kind of hide Kyrie on defense. Not to say Kyrie's a, you know, a revolving door, but, you know, if I, if I need to pick Drew between Drew Holiday and Kyrie Irving to get a stop, you know, I want Drew Holiday. So, I just think that 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 particular fit would be perfect. Now, the real question is, you know, what is the value and what do we have to give up to acquire him? I, before we get there, I am curious what you're to take it a step further in that visual of Drew being a, a, a net. What uh, what's the what's the fifth starter in that or, or what's your closing five in that? Because obviously you've got Kyrie, Drew and and uh, and KD. And I, I imagine in most situations you're going to probably still want Jared Allen in there, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I'm curious what you're what you envision both as a starting five with Drew, and also what what are you finishing with? Guys, we got um, a Woj bomb or a oh, wind yeah? horse wind horse bomb that Woj retweeted. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have had discussions about acquiring Chris Paul from the OKC Thunder. Story forthcoming. Um, that seems pretty significant if they want to put that out there and they're writing a story on there. Well, that is Chris Paul to the Suns. That is interesting. Devin wow. Booker, man. I mean, they have Rubio, so I assume it'd be like Rubio and Ubre, which I think would make the salary work. Rubio, Ubre, and ten was that? That seems like a lot. Like if if OKC can get that, that would be a haul. That'd be an absolute steal. I'm very curious to see what, what this looks like. And I, I imagine it's going to be me thinking that the Suns gave up too much. Because <laughs> I mean, that's usually how I, I feel. Frankly, like I would do Rubio and, and OKC just to get, I mean, not OKC, Rubio and Ubre, and I'd be getting off a ton of money, period. And that would be, that's it. That's the deal. You know, like I, I wouldn't, if I'm OKC, I'd be happy with it. If they managed to get 10 out of it, that's pretty wild. Anywho. Um, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. No, good oh, drop. No, I, mean, I, I thought you were going to tell me a trade happened, man. I, I thought that. I thought something like. <laughs> I, thought something I wish. Like, I wish. Massive happened. Yeah. I wish. Sorry. <laughs> Watch firecracker. <All> right. no. <laughs> Watch firecracker. Uh, the wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From games, spreads, and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So, so what's the what's the five? As you had more time to think yeah. about it, and definitely I think about Chris Paul. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think an ideal starting five, um, closing a game. It's also situational, right? Um, an ideal starting five is you have Kyrie, you have um, Drew Holiday. I would have, but then it, then it kind of gets hard because you don't know who's going to be on the team. Because I want to say Chris Levert as my three but maybe Chris isn't there if we still have Drew Holiday, you know? Uh, but I guess in a perfect world, he would be there at the three. Um, so that's actually, so sorry to interrupt, yeah. but that's, that's that kind of what I wanted to get at. So let's like even forget any trades or, or what exactly is outgoing for Drew. But yeah, I, I didn't know if it felt like Le- LeVert's skill set is kind of duplicative in a, in a five-man group like that, or do you feel like just like oh, overload with playmaking and then anyone can get a bucket? Um, so that, that, that was, that's interesting. I, I was just wondering wh- where you're going to go, but I guess maybe you, you can't not start him if he's on the squad. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say it's, 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 I think it's situational, um, depending on whether it's starting five or the closing five. Um, you know, cause if you need a three, I would just substitute, um, you know, Joe Harris in that three spot. Um, you also have to look at who the Nets will bring in as a four. Maybe they bring in somebody, uh, that's more of a stretch. Um, ideally, like a death lineup type closing would be Katie at the five um, go small and maybe uh, Kyrie drew either Chris or Joe. And then whatever, maybe a, I'm really high on Nick Claxton. Um, so possibly him or whoever the Nets decide to uh, bring in at the four. Fair enough. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, you got a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, cool shit to play with on that one. So, that's, uh, <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, yeah. So let's talk about the, uh, the offer. Um, what do you, so first of all, what would, I guess two questions here. What would you put on the table? What would be your tipping point for what's the max you put on the table for Drew Holiday? And then two, how does that, how do you think that differs from what the Nets might be thinking? Um, so I would put, you know, it pains me to say this because I, I love both of them, but you have to start off with either Spencer Dinwiddie or Chris. I, I mean, there's, there's no offer there without one or both of them. Um, if I had to pick, you know, I'd, I'd give up uh, Spence. Um, I had seen, you know, mock trades and stuff, you know, as I think we all have on Twitter. Um, I had seen one with uh, including Jared Allen, which I don't think would be a good fit. Um, just from personnel wise, off, off of a quick glance from New Orleans's roster. Um, a pick, has to be involved um yeah yeah i think it, it it's got if i was to give it up spencer dinwiddie um maybe rodeon's crooks if they want him um maybe another player just to fill out the salary uh and then a draft pick uh 
I have, I don't know um, how you guys feel. I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on some of the mock trades that from just regular fans and even, you know, NBA pundits and things like that. Uh, is Drew Holiday being overvalued on the trade market because it's such a weak free agent class? Or do you think he's right around where he should be? That's a really good question. So <clears throat> in my opinion, and I'm aware this might sound like I'm being a homer, uh, the things I've seen being discussed national podcasts and whatnot are things I'm pretty confident the Pelicans won't bite on. So I think for the long, longest time, Zach Lowe was saying, well, Karis Levert is probably not going to be on the table or shouldn't be on the table. <clears throat> I'm pretty confident that David Griffin is hanging up any trade offer that doesn't involve him. Unless, you know, you guys are, are Billy Kinging yourselves and, you know, it's picks and swaps out the wazoo. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Um, so I feel pretty confident about that. You know, Zach Lowe had, uh, was also saying like two, the number two overall pick trumps anything they could get on the market. And I also disagree with that. You know, um, I think number two overall pick in this draft is not a great asset to have uh, given the strength, relative strength of this draft. And it also means you have to eat the Wiggins contract, which doesn't do anything for your team. It really doesn't. Like, I, like people need yeah. to stop pretending that, you know, he's a, he's going to be a positively contributing player. I don't know. Uh, oh, sorry to cut you off, but I don't know if you guys had seen the, the Andrew Wiggins, Chris Levert debate on Twitter a few days ago. Oh, I was stoking those flames a little bit. Uh, oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, hmm, maybe, you know, Levert isn't too different, you know? Um, I mean, I, I thought that debate was fun. I was, I was mostly trolling uh, because there's a good bit of net Twitter that um, I interact with and, and they, and they follow me and I just wanted to get a rise out of them. Well, they're easy. They're, it's 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 very easy to get a rise. That is a lot of the next Twitter. Is that like you know last year it was Lakers and Celtics Twitter that we were interacting with the most because of the Anthony Davis stuff, and Lakers Twitter is just abjectly awful. And, no, it's and, it's bad. And, it's and you bad. don't want to interact with it. And Nets Twitter is like the most polite, like the politest group of people that I've interacted with. <laughs> and and so I, I wanted to see what happens if you kind of rile them up. And even then, like you know they're they were upset that, you know, Levert was being compared to Wiggins, but they were really polite about it. And um, it was, it was, it was a good time. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I think that Levert just gives you a little bit more um, just has a little bit more tools. You know, nobody questions the fact that Wiggins can get you a bucket. He is a bucket. You know, we've seen he can score the basketball when he wants to. Um, I think, but that's also the question with Wiggins is his drive there 82 games out of the season. Um, and I know people reference, you know, his numbers this year with Golden State, but I mean, it's kind of easy to put up numbers on Golden State when they were running out a bunch of G leaguers. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, and I love D'Angelo Russell to death. He was putting up pretty, you know, good numbers this season too. And they shipped him off. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. I think the Wiggins and Levert debate ends the second you look at their contracts. Um, it's just it's non-debatable there. You know, if both of them are on a minimum contract or something, or both of them are making like ten million dollars, yeah, then you can maybe debate the merits of who's what and what's not. Um, but 
I think also, like, as you mentioned, like this kind of will to be a better basketball player, that's a pretty big separator and, and enough to kind of end that conversation. But with regards to if Drew Holiday is being overvalued, I, I think that's an absolutely fair question. And um, I, I do think that he's a tad bit on the under, undervalued side and that I may be biased, um, but it's, it's kind of based off of the intel I'm getting back uh, from, from people around the team and what trades they would do and what trades they wouldn't do. And so given the number of parties interested, and it seems, or not seems, I, I've been told uh, that every team that thinks that they could even sniff at being a title contender has called about him and is interested. And that's in addition to teams that aren't title contenders or anywhere near them, like Atlanta. And Atlanta is apparently really hot about trying to make the playoffs. And so it's going to be a very interesting market for him simply because, as you said, he is kind of the best available commodity, uh, barring a Bradley Beal breaking free or uh, obviously Giannis saying, I want out of here. Um, But yeah, him being the best available commodity in addition to just every team gearing up to what is going to be an uncertain um, year next year where like, yes, the Lakers won the title and yes, they kind of beat up on everyone, but I don't think, you know, teams should be terrified of the Lakers in the way that the Warriors were, you know, I don't think they're this like unbeatable monolith. And so I think the title field is as open as, as possible. And if Drew is the guy you think can tip you over, then, teams are going to be paying, you know, and, and the funny thing is both LA teams want him too, like even the Lakers. And <laughs> and so I think that's it. All it does is, you know, it takes one team to desperately want him. And, and all of a sudden the, the value goes through the roof. Yeah. And I, and I think the one thing that maybe is underappreciated externally um, that, that, you know, Griff has in his back pocket is, is the sub, the thing that he didn't really have with AD is like, okay, we'll keep them like that's, that's a totally plausible scenario that he can default to if the offers aren't what he likes. And I, I think, you know, given Drew's been in New Orleans for years, he has a great um, relationship with the city. Um, he had that, he got that teammate of the award recent, uh, of the year award recently. Like he's, he's, he's a staple in, in New Orleans. And I feel like, um, you know, that's, it's not a situation where he's asking out. Um, I, I still think that, if push comes to shove, he's probably gets traded for all the reasons that Schmidt mentioned, uh, you know, this off season. Um, but I, I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility that he's, that he stays. And, and so I think that really helps what Griff kind of is, you know, can, can say to teams in negotiations. He's really, he's not, his hand is not forced the way it was with Davis, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people forget about when it comes to trade talks, thing like that. A team can say no. You know, it's not, you don't have to, you know, accept an offer that, you know, the Lakers or the Nets or the Clippers or the Bucks, you know, or even the Hawks send you. You can, at the end of the day, say, you know what, I'm good. We'll keep them and, you know, we'll just figure it out as we go along. Um, but I, I think it, his Griffin's phone will be ringing off the hook. I do think um, where the Nets have a little bit of an advantage because of Tragden, uh, Tragden Langdon um, being a... Um, a disciple, uh, I guess a Sean Marks disciple. Maybe there's the familiarity there. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, I guess it's anybody's game at this point. Do you think it's more the Pelicans looking for um, assets in terms of players or assets in terms of draft picks, which will, which is what will, you know, swing the table or swing the tides of who they accept? Both, honestly. 
I, I think it's it's a kind of a sliding scale of the quality of player versus the quality of draft pick, right? And so if you're the Nuggets and the best player you can really offer is Will Barton or Gary Harris, that's not an appealing player as part of a centerpiece of a trade. So they, you know, a team like that would have to really hammer in draft picks. And, and, you know, that's, that's when you start thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll do this deal because of the number of draft picks are doing not like there's a quality draft pick. Right. And, you know, if a team like Atlanta, well, they have a quality draft pick in six, again, this draft isn't fantastic, but it is the best draft pick you could get out of uh, potentially any other team outside of the Warriors, which is the number two overall pick. Um, so that would tip it in that direction. And, you know, the team like Atlanta could offer them cap relief. So I think it kind of swings depending on like what the quality of the centerpiece is. And I think as far as players go, you're right. The Nets, I think, have an advantage if, if Karras is on the table. Um, and I think if you ask people around the Pelicans media sphere or Pelicans Twitter, you'll learn that people are hot and cold on, on Karras. And I think that's fair uh, because he has been a bit of a polarizing player. He has been injured frequently and he had a really good back, like 22 games this season, right? Uh, like the end, end, last 22 games of the season and mm. um, the bubble play and then the playoffs, they were really good. Um, I think he averaged something like 24, six and six or something close to that uh, over that stretch, which is, which is fantastic. Um, but there are also concerns about, is he going to cannibalize what Brandon Ingram is already doing? Right. Cause they're also, they both kind of operate in that isolation space or can you empower him to be that full-time point guard? That's going to run the pick and roll. That's going to drive and kick, you know, 20 times a game and, and open up looks for Zion and others. I don't know. So the fit, the fit's questionable. Obviously you're taking a defensive downgrade when you move drew. And I don't think you necessarily need to solve all your problems by moving drew. I think, what you need to do is set yourself up for the future that allows you to be flexible. Like if you can be good now while, while making this trade, great, you know, like Karis allows you to do that. Right. Um, but if you have assets that you can hold on to in the next year, year and a half, two years, where maybe a guy like Carl Anthony Towns becomes available, maybe Joel Embiid, you know, becomes available, maybe James Harden, you know, some star uh, Devin Booker, something like that with, if they shake free, you want to have your arsenal ready to make that move and and put them next to Zion and, and Brandon Ingram and complete the big three. And ultimately, in my opinion, any Drew trade needs to be viewed in that lens. How is it setting you up for that kind of move? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think that that's what it comes down to when you have a team that's, you know, in a rebuild. Uh, it's you want to make the place look nice you know, for guests, you know, when you're showing off a, a house that you're about to sell, you know, you spray the Febreze, you know, use the lemon pledge a little bit more, you know, things like that. And, you know, to your point, I think making it look nice, you know, having these, this, this young core and being good can attract these superstars. I mean, we saw it with the Nets and how they went from being laughingstock of the league to just in a few short years, they have that, you know, I guess, magical playoff run, if you call it that with the, you know, D'Angelo Russell taking the team to the playoffs the other year and parlay that into two superstars coming. So I, I think you're hundred percent right with that. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, and this is the reality of the situation that not every team has to face, but it, it, with, with New Orleans, it's almost about, um, and obviously Zion notwithstanding, who knows what he can do to a market, but um, it's almost about what can you what can you put together as a as a trade package for an eventual superstar, right? And saying that we're not, you know, we've been fooled enough times to to learn from mistakes and or not necessarily mistakes, but that we're probably not going to get a marquee free agent coming to a market like New Orleans unless you know Zion is locked in long term and is like already like a top five talent. Even then, you know, who knows? But you know, it, it's what can you what can you put together that's going to really get the, the the needle mover from a star perspective and um and so that's why i think there's a, a it's a reasonable conversation to have and i think i think one of the risks with the nets is that they've got like, even if you look at lavert or uh dimwitty those guys are 26 27 years old so they're just about to enter their primes and so are they even uh you know are they older than what you'd look be looking for um and so um that said I think it's still uh, like, like what Schmidt was saying. I mean, it's hard to, it, as far as the players that, that are clearly ones that may end up on the table um, so far, Lavert's the only one that the best out of the teams like Miami, Denver, it sounds like Michael Porter Jr. Won't be put on the table for Denver with, if you believe what people are saying, same thing with Tyler Harrow and Miami. And so is Lavert the best individual player uh, that you can get? And if so, is that the right move or should you target, you know, um, you know, one, one thing I floated out there is uh, a couple a couple of unprotected picks from Denver that are far out. And so you, you look at when Jokic's next contract comes up, is, is the team going to be sustainably great for the next, you know, in, in five years? Um, if you don't believe that, then you can go get you try to get a couple of picks from them. And even, you know, who knows, those picks might from New Orleans might get traded before they come to fruition. And so it's just, uh, you know, building out that war chest in the best way you, you think you can that makes sense for the short term and the long term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the risk, it, it definitely has to be Chris. I think there's a lot of risk with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie uh, from the Pelican side, just because if if that's the trade that happens, and let's say, hypothetically speaking, Dinwiddie goes to New Orleans, there's no guarantee with his contract, you know, coming up, you know, about to end, him hitting the open market, he's proven himself that he he's a he's a viable 20 and 5, 20 and 6 guy i think the market for him during that free agency will be really high and will he be is he willing to you know stay in new orleans you know we just had the the report that said a bunch of west coast teams were linked to him and he is a he is a west coast guy you know would he want to go back and play for you know the hometown lakers i know he enjoys playing against them you know beating them but if he has the opportunity to play with them and even play with lebron you know because lebron's not going to retire until he's probably 50 um will he take that chance, especially if they keep uh, Anthony Davis as well? Uh, the risk there is just is too great. But I think with Chris, I mean, there's a possibility there to have, you know, a mini, even if there's no superstar that comes, maybe a homegrown big three where you have Zion and he blossoms into a top five guy and you have Brandon Ingram and he, you know, does Brandon Ingram things. And then you have Chris as maybe your third star that can also give you 20, now you have a situation where you have three stars, kind of like the Celtics with, with, with Jalen Brown, Kemba, and uh, Jason Tatum. So, I mean, the, the, I think the Pelicans are in a really great place, you know, no matter what happens during, you know, this, I guess, accelerated trade offseason. So where I was going to push you is circling back to what Mason asked originally. It's like, where where are we drawing the line? Okay, so let's say, let's say it is Chris, right? Let's say the conversation starts there. You need yes. a, you need a, you need to add salary. So um, 
Tarian Prince is salary that we can add. I don't think, I, I certainly don't think he's a positive asset. Um, I was going to say, personally, if you, if you guys want him, you can take, <laughs> you can yeah. take him because right. I am a very anti Torian Prince. It was weird. Cause I was a big Torian Prince guy when he was in college. Uh, you know, I think we all seen his, uh, how to grab a rebound, you know, interview. And then I liked him in Atlanta, but this season it was just after the first month, it is almost like he just fell off a cliff with his uh, production. Yeah. Uh, again, I think he'd be like an expiring that you're adding uh, to make the money work, but that's about it. And then, you know, if you need an end of the bench, except he's, guy not, to... except he's not expiring. <laughs> he is. Uh, that's not what I see. I see. I'm looking at the basketball insiders. He, he's not, I see 13 mil for 21, 22. Is that wrong? We is, gave is him it? the, we gave him the two year extension before. Yeah. Right. Like right at the end of this preseason. Um, so yeah. I mean, may, yeah. He should be an expiring Mason. He, I think is that last year non-guaranteed. It's not on basketball insiders. Maybe I'll, I'll check a second source. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. Uh, let's see. Hold on. <laughs> this is the only site I go to anymore. Yeah, so. well, <laughs> early it's, bird rights got bumped because yeah. uh, homeboy got hired. Holy crap. Um, I thought his extension kicked in already. Okay, you're right. He has got two years left on his deal. My bad. Yeah, that makes it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> like I, That's why I said if you guys want to be Good Lord. <laughs> That makes it even worse. Okay, yeah. So let's say, okay, let's let's say for the sake of argument, you know, you're not including both Spencer and Caris, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think the Pelicans are going to want to ask for both. Um, wait, so let's just start there. Would if if the if the Nets include Caris and Spencer, are you are we already meeting the line that you're drawing, or 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 not? Uh, I think if it's if it's Caris and Spencer. I got to, I have to, you'd have to think that Marks has a backup plan for the backup point guard role. And I know people keep making this thing of, oh, you know, Dinwiddie is, is Kyrie insurance and you can't have Kyrie insurance because if Kyrie is hurt, then it kind of defeats the purpose. But I think having a competent backup, you know, and a guy that can average 20 and six off the bench is not a bad thing to have in your back pocket. Um, so it would have to, you know, it'd have to be like who they would bring in to replace Spence. Can't Drew be your backup point guard, though? I mean, uh, is, even if he's him. not this, yeah. Uh, yes and no, because I would want him on the court at the same time as Kyrie. I think right. if you stagger the minutes, yeah, but at some point, I'm going to need them both. Yeah, I just meant injury injury insurance, that's all. Not, yeah. not off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, if and if that's the case, maybe the, the, the Kyrie insurance is Tyler Johnson. You know, you bring him in, bring him in on a minimum. You know, especially after what he showed you in the bubble, but yeah, if 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 that's what it takes, then Caris and um, Spence, that's the line. Um, I had seen something thrown out where it was uh, Caris, Spencer, and Jared Allen. Um, I don't, I didn't understand it, the Jared Allen part, because I don't think the Pelicans need Jared Allen and the services of him, especially when you have uh, Jackson Hayes and and Melly. Um, I'm not sure if Melly's contract has expired already, but. You know, those are two solid bigs that can shoot as something Jared Allen can't. So, yeah, well, Jack Jackson is like a baby, and he, you know, he should be in a dorm playing Fortnite right now. So he's he's a little <laughs> bit away. Um, but you're right. You know, the, from a fit perspective, and then you know what 
Allen's maybe do as, as future money isn't necessarily appealing. I think my idea is, okay, well, if some of these guys don't flip, uh, fit, maybe I'd flip them. Let's see what other teams say. You know, maybe Dallas wants them and you, you could get something out of that. It'd be an asset play, if anything. But let's say, you know, would you do Chris Spencer and, and that 19th overall pick? Chris mentioned the 19th, probably not. Um, I, I know, like, when you're in win now, you can't worry about um, draft picks. But if there's still the play, and I know, you know, it probably isn't. But if the if there's still a play to maybe get Bradley Beal, I know the Wizards would probably want that 19th. Um, so I wouldn't be as gung-ho if I was Sean Marks to just – if that's the first offer that comes and it's the Pelicans, and like, hey, we'll give you Drew, but we need the 19th. You know, I'd be like, all right, you know, well, let me see, you know, let me, let me shop it around a little bit more. Um, I have this weird feeling that it's, this won't be a straight up, you know, Nets Pelicans trade. I think there might be a 13 there, you know, just to, to make salaries match and, you know, draft picks and things like that. Um, I could see future picks. I wouldn't mind giving up a few of the, you know, picks from next year and the year after that, uh, especially because, yeah. (laughs) To be honest, like I'd prefer a future pick or future picks. Yeah. Um, oh you know, yeah. Because the nineteenth this year, and like you said, it's 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 not a strong draft class. I mean, I don't think I've, at least in recent memory, seen a draft class where there was such uncertainty, even in the top three. You know, so who, you know, we only know like what could happen with um, you know, picks after fifteen, and maybe the Nets want to keep the uh, the the nineteenth, maybe fill a position of need. I know. They've had their eyes on uh, RJ Hampton, uh, you know, a wing. Uh, Sadiq Bay is someone I'm really high on out of Villanova who could fill that stretch four role, which is something the Nets have needed for decades. Uh, so I don't know if I'd be willing to give up the 19th, but definitely picks later on 2022, 2023. Um, you can't worry about, not to say that you have to mortgage the future like how Billy King did when he just was like, you know, F it everybody gets to pick, you know, I don't, I don't care about these, but you can't be worried about that when you're in a win now window of two to three years. Hey, if, if it costs you, if you get a championship, Hey, it, it'll be worth the two or three years where you're, you might be garbage. Okay. So what, so I'm going to continue building off this Chris and Spencer baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, where, wh- how many future picks would you cap it at? I'd probably cap it at, I'd, ca- I'd probably cap it at two. Okay. I, I mean, I, Mason, I think that's a deal we'd be willing to accept. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, de- depending on years and protections, yes, um, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm very, I, I'm very wary of a, a pick in the next two years for, <laughs> for, for the nets. I don't, I don't see it being above, you know, higher than 25. Uh, just, I mean, Eastern Conference, you know, like I, I see I see very little chance that that pick is in the lottery and, and even, you know, and, and so I am I, I, I don't know how how much I, I love that, but I, 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 I take it. You know, I'm serious <laughs> because I think, you know, you, I think, you know, no, no offense to, to you, JT. Um, I, I think the window with Kyrie and KD is about two, two years, maybe three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Two, um, two three years. The length of this contract. Right? And it's yeah. not it's not difficult to be mediocre in the east so i get where mason's coming from but like 
you know, if I, if, you know, if it, so you get the 19th pick this year. So like, let's say if it was the 2022 pick and the 2024 pick, you know, I'm, I'm liking that 2024 pick a lot, uh, especially at the age, you know, KD might be at that Same. time and, 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 and even drew. So like, I, I would assume they would probably be like top five protected or something like that, which is fine. You know, I don't think the nets are in any business of trading unprotected picks ever again. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, to me, that's fine. And in that case, I'd be looking to get that third team involved or, or find that third team myself for Spencer. Um, and that's where I think I, that's where I see it most likely happening is that they bring in a third team uh, to kind of make it, make it all work. Cause, cause as you guys said, you know, you're not big on the next picks over the next, you know, two or three years, you know, you expect them to be a contender. So those picks will be later in the draft. So I think, yeah, if you bring in a team, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but a, a team that you you're fairly confident will be around the lottery in that, the, you know, that top 14, you know, area uh, over the next few years, that's definitely someone that you could uh, come in and also somebody that could also help make uh, some of the cap space work, things like that. Yeah. Like I'm saying like, if you can get a lightly protected pick in like 2024, and then you can also find a third team that would be interested Mm -hmm. in in Dinwiddie uh, and you can get an asset you feel like is worth um, not, not, you're you're not keeping him for whatever reason, uh, if you feel like he's not going to be, uh, you know, you don't want to commit to the long-term money with him. I mean, I, I think that's got the, you know, that's got some juice there. Um, so I'd be, uh, you know, I'd be interested in, in playing that out. So, um, but uh, I think, um, Shibit, you know, you want to, uh, should we, should we try to wrap this one yeah, up? Now, I, think, I think? think we can wrap it up with the, with the rapid quick fire um, questions that we usually ask. So, uh, right off the top, you know, favorite all-time Nets player, and if it's obvious, if it's as obvious as Jason Kidd, um, give me your top two or three. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. So obviously Jason Kidd, um, Brooke Lopez is probably my second favorite from from strictly personal reasons, only because when he was drafted, my dad did not like him at all. He thought he thought he was too soft. He never got rebounds, which he still kind of doesn't do now. But that kind of made me take a liking to him. And as he got better and better and, you know, he started shooting more and scoring more, it's like, all right, we got something in Brook. You know, so it was actually a crusher when he ended up getting traded, you know, for D'Angelo Russell. But I would say Brook Lopez is definitely uh, top two for me. And then rounding out the top three is um, it's got to be Richard Jefferson. Wow. That's surprising to me. I like I like RJ. He's a fun guy. I I he, I liked him on the Nets. He was one of the you know guys you could easily root for. So when he got traded, when he went to uh, the Bucks, that was kind of a hard pill to swallow. Especially you know when you're younger, it's always hard. It's always a harder pill to swallow when like a guy you like goes to a different team. You know, is playing for a different jersey. But yeah, that he he was he was a fun guy when he was here. Loved watching him on the fast break with Kid and Martin, um, and. I love him on the next broadcast too. So, for sure. And then, obviously, the flip side of that question is, who who are your least favorite Nets players of all time? Oh man, well, Torian Prince is making a very strong case at the moment. <laughs> uh, <That's impressive. laughs> oh man, uh, dude, I think some Pelicans fans need to hear this. They just have this idea of Prince being this six eight dude that can do six eight things. 
you know, like this um, the defending wing type player, which is, I guess, the idea of him. But like, I don't think any of them have actually seen him play. And you know what? To his credit, and I, I will, you know, reel off a little bit. He was playing out of position a, a, a lot this season. You know, Kenny Atkinson had him playing at the four, which I, in certain instances, yes, that makes sense. But his he, he's naturally supposed to be on the wing as the three. Um, you know, actually, it's just his the way he plays the game uh, fits him better. Just being on the wing instead of having him down low and having to guard bigger guys because he gets tired. You know, but you know, I, maybe a new maybe a change of scenery is good for him. You know, we've seen that in the past with different players, but you know, and he's still young, so I can't really write him off like his career now. But as far as his Nets tenure con- is concerned, he is he is definitely on the list of uh, least favorite Nets. Uh, right now uh paul pierce is also up there as one of my least favorite nuts just because i don't <laughs> like paul pierce i never liked paul pierce um, that's a great answer <laughs> uh i i pope i i live and thrive off of whenever the the, the timeline on twitter is uh, doing paul pierce slander uh so that's that's, that's got to be uh my number two and number three ah uh, hmm Yeah, I don't really have, I I don't really have a uh, a third one. I've I've generally I've generally liked the majority of the guys that have come through the Nets organization. Okay, that's that's fair. And you know, I think that's if you don't feel that strongly about uh, another player, that's probably a good thing. I mean, it is a good thing. At least I'd say. All right. Um so well uh, JT again thanks for uh th- thanks for ho- hopping on the podcast talking some Nets Pelicans with us uh just so as we wrap up you uh you mind just telling everyone where they can find your work and uh you know on whether it's website social media all that oh yeah uh but so like first off once again thank you guys for inviting me this has been this has been really fun I haven't been able to talk uh Brooklyn Nets basketball at, at length like this you know in a while so this has been this has been great so thank you for that um where you can find me at, uh, I currently write for Nets Republic. Um, it's a growing site, really good. They do a lot of um, WNBA stuff as well, so you should check that out uh, with the Liberty and things like that. I got a bunch of great writers over there. Uh, Elite Sports New York, covering uh, all things uh, New York sports, you know, in the area. A few New Jersey things too, like the New Jersey Devils, Rutgers, football and basketball. I think a little bit of Seton Hall as well. Um, also great 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 group of guys over there um guys and girls i'm sorry uh great group of writers and then personally uh have my own personal podcast with the uh, two guys i went to school with uh ja, miles wilson and john moto um we're uh sarah toby sports podcasts uh, you can find us on twitter uh all major streaming services we have a youtube up as well um so yeah i mean we talk sports and we talk anime so if you love either of those things and we also like to you know shoot the breeze a lot too so if you like any of those things uh that's where we are saratobi sports i'm upset that we didn't get to talk any anime mason doesn't watch any anime but (laughs) myself on the other hand um i would love to tune into your podcast slash talk to you further about various anime stuff so oh, i'm very excited we, that you do we that might, i might reach out we'll, we'll, we'll reach out we might have you on the pod uh soon i know we were taking a break um now because one of our uh, hosts is out of town but you know i'd love to have you on the pod because we 
we thoroughly enjoy. I've, I just started getting into anime over the past two or three years, but it's been uh, it's been fun. Man, I got to show you our shirts we designed. We designed a Jonin Drew shirt, uh, based it off of the Naruto stuff, and we even uh, you'll like it. We'll send you we'll send you pics of design. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, well, um, th- thanks again, and uh, thanks for listening. Man. Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends, you can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Hello everyone, my name's Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.